0: This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the Porncast, where if one of the hosts got arrested, the other one probably did too. I'm your co-host Yvette D'Entremont. And here is my lovely, probably hasn't been arrested
1: yet, co-host Alice Bond. Alice, how are you doing on this side of the clink? So I haven't been arrested yet, but I did once have an idea that almost got me arrested because I'm such a good girl that I rarely do anything troublesome. You mean your crayons haven't gotten you like at least
0: threatened with like a little light like offense and battery yet? No, but I have been banned from China, the entire wow. country. Like from going there, from from selling That's there. Impressive. Like there's we're having an FFF today by the way. <laughs> Just the disembodied voice you hear other than the other two you're used to. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know you were banned from the entire country of China.
1: We'll save the story for the Patreons, but it does have to do with the crayons. So, after the show, we'll discuss, but I'll tell you about the idea, and it was with the tanks. So, do you remember last year when I was involved with tanks?
0: When, yes, you went to check out the, what was the name of the company that has
1: the, uh, it's free to me as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish they were called Freedom Tanks. That's what Trump prefers to call his. But uh, this is actually just uh, drive tanks. And they're based in Texas. And they're one of the few places in the U.S. where you can actually rent and drive a full tank. I still wow. wish we'd had
0: like a, a spare $50,000 lying around so we could have driven a, like, decorated it with a pride flag and driven it through the straight pride parade, which was like the best idea of the list
1: that we had, I thought. Right? Right? The— alternative option that we had was because uh, they're in Texas and they're about a few hours away from the border. I said, hey, why don't we take a tank across the border? And they had to explain to me that that would be literally me inciting a war with Mexico. Hmm. And then we were like, wait,
0: how close can we get to the border? Can we like throw like care packages across the border to people seeking asylum? Can we throw paper towels? (laughs) (laughs) What are we allowed to do with this tank and how close to the border can we get without inciting war
1: acts? If you are a lawyer that knows this, email us info at twogirlsummic because I am still interested in possibly taking a tank to the border if they'll allow me. Probably not. Look,
0: I'm just saying COVID-19 may cause Mexico to actually pay for the wall. We have access to tanks. We're just asking questions. We're just asking questions here.
1: So our guest who has nothing to do with tanks but does have some family that has gotten in trouble with the law, we have Rachel Mason on the show, director of a brilliant film about her family and their amazing store called Circus of Books. And by the way, remind me, is the documentary also called Circus of Books?
2: Yep, it's called Circus of Books. It's kept it simple and easy so you could remember.
1: Nice. So, for our listeners who've never heard of Circus of Books, because I hadn't until I watched the film, and I was so fascinated with how rich the history was of this store that I was just completely unaware of. I mean, so you know best. Um, so, elevator pitch, I guess, for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your movie?
2: <laughs> well, I guess my favorite elevator pitch when I was just trying to get some financing was Hey, do you want to um, support a film about my parents' gay porn empire? <laughs> Usually people would be like, wow, you look like a nice Jewish girl. What are your parents doing in that business? Um, Ironically, many of the people in the business are Jewish, but that's another little side note. But, um, you know, I don't know if we're in the industry crowd. As a half Jew, somehow this doesn't surprise me. Jews are open minded. What can I say? A lot of them, but they're also filled with sh- guilt and shame. So the, the whole thing kind of lands nicely in porn somehow. But, uh, all this come on my hands. I feel guilty <laughs> about it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. You can, you know, trade in something you feel terribly guilty about, as you can see with my mom in the film. <laughs>
1: At one point, I remember your mother, who's this wonderful little Jewish old woman going to, uh, not old, but um, (laughs) this wonderful Jewish woman who was going to a porn convention and saying, no, I I know what I need. Give me that. Give me that. No, that's not going to sell. And
2: she's going through all these different sex toys and products. And yeah, it's my mom has this kind of classic Yiddish sort of affect on everything. So it's like, look, if it's not for gay, we wouldn't even touch it. (laughs) Only a classic Yiddish kite Jewish person would would say it in that exact way, which, you know, we caught a lot of those beautiful gems on film. And when I was growing up, I got used to a sort of – kind of funny inside joke with my friends if they ever walked into the back of the store and heard my mom reading off titles while she's looking at me on the phone. It's kind of like that um, scene from Clerks, if, if you recall. He, It's so old now that not many people have seen it. But basically, he's reading the list of these raunchy porn titles, and it's very funny. So imagine my mom in that same modus operandi. <laughs> anyway. We've not only seen Clerks, we have reviewed the porn parody. Oh, amazing. They did a porn parody? That's so great. Was it gay or straight? It was straight, and I i don't believe they had
0: any gays. I'm sure there is a wow. gay version of a porn parody of it. That's awesome. But- yeah,
2: I guess it would be straight. It's a pretty straight world, Clerks. That's awesome. <laughs> It was one of our earlier ones. It was pretty good. Wow. Do it's they fuck good. in the video store? Where does it happen? They fuck all over the place. Oh, wow. It's so creative. There's even characters
1: who have no backstory who are fucking. Who knew? Yeah, they're just random banging.
2: Porn is very creative. You know, my favorite title, I have to say, I, I love Buck Angel's Buck Back Mountain. You know, that's a classic. And the title is very important. We haven't reviewed any of Buck's porn yet. You haven't? Wow. Based upon you saying your
0: favorite is Buckback Mountain, that should be our next- uh, Oh,
2: you should first, you should watch Brokeback Mountain and Buckback Mountain back to back. (laughs) How about that? I'm down. When I saw Brokeback Mountain, it was the funniest thing because I was in New York and I was just feeling depressed that day. So I figured, well, what should I do with myself except go see this really sad gay movie about cowboys And I, you know, walked in, and then what do I see at the end? I'm just so sad and crying. I go to the women's bathroom. The entire bathroom is filled with sad, pathetic women, just like me, bawling their eyes out. And we're all so embarrassed, trying to, like, pretend like we weren't our sad, little, lonely, fag hag existence (laughs) in the middle of a matinee watching Brokeback Mountain. That probably should have been an indication that my time in New York was... Ending, you know, t- that's when you know when you find yourself in a bathroom with a bunch of crying women after Brokeback Mountain. That is a mood, an image. There's an image for you. <laughs> you set a scene. You can take that one to the bank.
0: <laughs> that's going into some screenwriter's screenplay right there. The year was 2006.
2: Or wait, what year did that come out? God, it probably was. <laughs>
0: I feel like that's around the time when, like, Hollywood would be like, we're just warm enough up to this to try it
2: out, but still it's, like, scary for us. Like, Yeah, it's got to—if it's going to be gay, it has to have cowboys, and someone's going to have to die. It's got to be really tragic, so— it had that package of what was acceptable.
1: Because gay people can't have a happy ending. Exactly. Yeah, not yet, at least. Too early for that. Yeah. They're either the bitchy queen
0: who has, like, magical powers of seeing into everyone's brain, or they're the cowboy.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I am so tired, personally, of the stereotypical gay best friend in rom-coms.
2: Well, it's so funny, yeah, because, um, you know, I do think we're heading into a time where there's actually gay leads, which is, like, shocking, or, or gay right shows thanks to Ryan Murphy and you know Jill Soloway you know with transparent trans characters but yeah wasn't a whole lot before that was there
1: <laughs> no yeah. i mean i just rewatched nip tuck and i remember growing up uh i didn't i was really young when nip tuck initially came out yeah. but when i rewatched it recently i was amazed that there were so many trans characters mm. way back when and oh. it was you didn't have that. I feel like there's not enough visibility on that nowadays. You know? Oh no,
2: there's still not. I mean, no. to to be fair, the trans population is small. So if you're going to reflect it in yes. the actual, but you should have representation. But you know, it's sort of like yeah. a. It would be a you know if if you're trying to get like millions of of shows that have trans leads. I would say that's unlikely. But it's very important to get trans stories and into films and, um, you know, as many trans actors cast as possible, you know, assuming they just have to be great actors. You know, that's my whole cause with everything gay or LGBT in general. It has to be really great content because the worst thing that can happen is that the content sucks. And then people will be like, oh no, another bad, lame gay movie. So it's really important. I mean, that, you know, the pressure's on, I will say, but um, it's important for the actual movies to be great. So,
1: do you think that back in the day, and by in the day, I mean like 100, 200 years ago, where there were plays where there were only men playing both the male and female roles? Do you think that when they started introducing women to their plays, they were like, no, they have to be really good or we can't have them?
2: <laughs> Probably, yeah. No, women are still held Probably. to that standard. Actually, my mom, uh, when she was a journalist, she told me there was a sign on the wall, and it said, "Women need not apply." And she somehow defied not that. At all. Yeah, and that's you know, and she just said, "You actually just had to be incredible. You had to be better than the men, and it was the only way was to be that much better." So it is pretty shocking. You're like, in our lifetimes, there were just jobs that were off limits to gay people. Well, I guess I don't know how old you are, but maybe not in my own lifetime. Now that I should say that with women, but my mom's lifetime, a hundred percent, you know, women were just actually told they should not apply to certain jobs. Even if people aren't told they shouldn't apply to certain jobs. I remember
0: when I got into grad school, my boyfriend at the time said to me, are you sure you're smart enough for this program? (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. And I didn't dump him for another six months if you want to know where my self esteem was.
2: Well, yeah, no. And I think the subtle stuff is constant. That's ongoing. And it's still yeah. an upward battle in many industries, including tech. You know, it's just very hard to recruit women because they walk into a room and it's like, oh yeah, there's a hundred guys in here and no women. I have a cousin who's a computer programmer and she just flat out was like, yeah, I don't really like this environment. It kind of sucks. I'm going to go into biotech where there are women, but she could have probably gotten to work for Google or another um, male dominated company, but just, and of course at those companies, they'll say, well, you know, There are no women because they're not applying. And it's like, well, yeah, because they don't really want to work there (laughs) when there's no women.
1: I remember when I uh, was getting my physics degree way back uh, when I— You have
2: a physics degree? Wait a minute. That's fucking cool. I'm obsessed with physics. Okay. You guys are (laughs) awesome. I'm a loser.
1: Yay, don't worry. We're old besties. We're pervy
0: scientists, is what it came down to. Oh this my is, God. This, this is what happens when you have daddy issues. Like you're you're wow. like, I need to get a good job so that I can prove my father wrong, but also I have those other sexual issues from daddy issues. So this is what happened to the both of us.
2: I'm a nerd magnet. Everyone around me is a nerd, and that's pretty much what uh, makes my world go round. So anyway, continue. I just think it's fucking cool that you have a physics degree. <laughs> We've decided Thank you're you. in our girl squad now. Okay.
1: When I was going to get my physics degree, all of my classes were actually, I went to NGIT to get them, which is across the street from Rutgers, Newark. And NGIT is heavy male-dominated way back when it was, I think, like ninety five percent male or something Mm. insane like that Mm. they had to put in an interior design class to attract the women wow i'm not that's ridiculous
2: (laughs) and it did attract some and maybe some gays too (laughs) to be probably yeah yeah let's
0: be honest um
2: you know that's so interesting no but um actually one of my favorite fields is astrophysics and actually i'm writing a script or wrote a script about um black holes and gravitational waves. And I don't know if you've been following what's been happening in that world, but they proved the existence of gravitational waves recently, right? LIGO. and yeah, a couple yep. of years it's ago. It's so cool. And, um, you know, I went to LIGO. I went out to Caltech and it was like, oh, man, there's no women here. It sucks. And and I mentioned it to... Um, the head of the department. And he was like, we really want to attract women. It's actually part of our mandate. And it's a really important thing. And and I was happy to know long that long story about all the sexual harassment issues. Oh, well, there you astro- go. Yeah. yeah, there's a
0: there's a whole long story about that, that since you have a hard stop time, we'll talk about some other
1: time over a
2: joint. Okay. Or five. Yeah. Well, now fire away all your gay porn questions. So we, we can stop. <laughs> there, but, but just so you know, I'm a nerd.
1: So. Well, we welcome nerds onto the show. And for our audience, we want to be clear that, you know, it's not that we're saying that we want to discriminate against men and not we love have men. women in these Oh, my fi- God. Yeah. We- my film
2: is about gay men, by the way. And I do have to say, some people are like, well, why didn't you include bisexual people like myself? Why didn't Same you as include- is. Trans people, like my partner, um, because that's not the actual story of Circus of Books. The Circus of Books story in its 40 plus year history was about gay men who found each other at the store, found each other in the porn And my parents hired all kinds of people. They hired lesbians, transsexuals. They hired people that were cross-dressers. They didn't use the terms that we use now. They actually use other words. And the film was not about them because they were not the majority of the story. So I was surrounded by a world that was mostly... Male. And you know, I was even talking to Jill Soloway about it recently because Jill never really went into the store because Jill was like, you know, it wasn't really my space. That was more of like a gay men's space. And and that's the truth. I mean, it was mostly a gay men's space, which is also the beauty of telling these kinds of stories in the LGBT spectrum, because there are stories that are pure les stories. Go ahead and tell those. There are stories that are pure by bi- stories, and then there are some that will combine everything. Mine is exclusionary by virtue of its history. You can't rewrite the actual historical record. So it's really funny how you go on Twitter and people will be like, well, you left out me and you left out this person. and You left out that person. And it's like, yeah, well, I when you write an actual historical story, there's going to be some editing, but then there's also just the actual story. So it's- I feel this. There's always a, a little peanut gallery that's like, going to fight you (laughs) no matter what you do though. So there's that. I feel this as a, as a science journalist because
0: I'll write something debunking some wild piece of of bad medical information that, mm. that, you know, tells people a thing that is inaccurate, gives out bad health information. Wow. And then somebody will say to me, well, why didn't you tell people the other side of the story? I'm like, because homeopathy does not deserve an advocate in my article. You write that article. Like, that's not the story I'm telling. And that's, here's the thing. You know, it's fine to not tell every story within your one uh, story. There yeah. are like your story in and of itself in that one Self contained piece, it's fine. You're not saying yeah. other stories are invalid by telling your piece. It's
2: also called having an angle. And that's what gives you exactly. your particular. It's called being a human being with opinions, which apparently yeah. these days is a negative thing. So, you know, there you go. And you can ask Buck all about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. I, I'm a big ContraPoints fan. And so oh, watching cool. what happened in the, in the, like it was when oh, we saw God. you guys at uh, the you Expos Awards and I, Buck, right I like, yeah, right. and I saw Buck. I was like,
2: yeah, right. I saw the Counterpoints controversy wow it actually Quote, controversy it blew my mind it was like this community can drag controversy out of anything like you can hit a rock with a stick and make it controversial. <laughs> what was crazy
0: to me was not just that they were mad at uh, Natalie for having Buck on, they went after other left tubers. They went after uh, Ollie, who runs Philosophy Tube. They went after Lindsay Ellis, wow. who's an amazing film critic. Wow. They, they, all of them, like there's a group of them that all lost patrons. Uh, That's on, disgusting. They all lost money for not like
2: disavowing her. Way to take out the actual voices in our community. Let's just shoot ourselves in the face. Purity culture. Like my brother's trans, and I look at. I, I loved
0: uh, Natalie's way of explaining this. Was I thought the more wrong thing to do, even though I have opinions I disagree with Buck on, I thought the more wrong thing to do would be to disown somebody in our community. Oh my God. And when we had Buck on, like it was, it was kind of wonderful for me to get to discuss with a trans man, kind of you know some of the things I'd seen, you know, my brother go through. And it was, it was really great for me to have that conversation with someone who's been there. And I think for people to say we have to push this person out because he has an opinion we don't like, it's like. Like, you know he did things that have made your life easier now, and and I yeah. wish you would think about that. Well,
2: not only that, it's like there was no porn for trans people. Just think about that. There was yeah. no sexual representation for trans people until Buck showed up and knocked on a bunch of doors that did not open for him. They literally shut the doors in his face, and you can see it in his movie, Mr. Angel. People are like, ah, fuck you. You're disgusting. We don't like you. No one's going to buy it, and he dealt with that for years, and now it's like every Everyone acts like Buck has always been here, but he fought ridiculously hard to get yeah. into this space. And now it's like, oh, let's just take him down because he's an okay boomer. And also it's like, wow, really, you're going <laughs> to use that language. On an elder who served this community, I mean, in a weird, twisted way, it's like, if you want to alienate and remove our elders, this is how you do it. You know, if Buck didn't have the resilience he has, he would have said bye-bye a long time ago. But because he cares about the community and he is a fighter, he's stayed on. But, I mean, truly, I sometimes am like, wow, I can't believe you even are willing to deal with any of these people anymore. You know, seriously, it's like fascinating, and we all know 20 years from now,
0: people are going to be going back and finding the way back machine on us. And I, I'm yeah. sure I know of at least a good dozen things I'll be canceled for. Like my opinions on X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yep, this is what I'll be canceled for. You know, that I, ha- I'll have to explain to the trial of the public sphere what I was wrong about that when opinions shift, when the way that the winds are blowing shift and say I was wrong about. And it's like, I think that we have to sit back and go, maybe these were the opinions at the time. And it's hard to get people to come around if you want their opinions to shift by screaming at them that they're true scum. And they obviously hate all, like, this is not helping. It's like, this is not helping, especially when this person was a trailblazer in your field. I know we just went off way off topic for this, but. So speaking of trailblazers, (laughs) your parents
1: started a gay porn store. And I was shocked that. They started it by contacting Larry Flint.
2: Well, yeah. And, you know, I have to say there's all these different weird bedfellows and surprising twists and turns. But Larry Flint, as it turns out, was a very early LGBT supporter because simply money and commerce, which everybody's always like, oh, my God, ew, these people, they just made a buck off of the community. And actually... The community at the time said, please, dear God, we need something. And the people like Larry yeah. Flint could have easily been like, wow, I would never touch that stuff. And he did the opposite. So Larry Flint actually said okay and took a risk on all of these really seminal magazines that we look at now, like Honcho and Blue Boy and Man Day. And these were magazines that when you talk to a generation of older men, they actually get tears in their eyes. They talk about these hey. magazines as being almost like you know, a safe place they finally found themselves in. And, you know, so Larry Flint was really doing it similarly, like my parents, you know, he has a business, he's trying to grow it. And he thought, okay, why not? And you can say now, just like what he did for the First Amendment, what an incredible activist. But at the time, he was really doing what he felt was just simply the right move. And I think that's why sometimes people like that, like my parents, don't see themselves as heroic, because They weren't doing it for the reasons that, like, Larry Kramer was doing his cause. He wasn't, you know, he was an outright activist. And my parents don't see themselves as that, even though what I see as their biggest legacy was their legacy of employment within the community. That community was not able to get jobs. And I talked to Buck about this a lot because he was alive and well, and he's about 20 years older than me, and saw firsthand... A guy who was a trans guy, a woman who was a trans woman, it was not easy to get a job if people knew that you were transsexual or transgender or however you identify, but you're flipping around gender was not a thing that people welcomed with open arms and cheered you for at that time. Not even in the most liberal areas. No, not even in the most liberal areas. You were a freak and you were disgusting. And that was actually it. You were a disgusting freak. And so, you know, that was the way people looked at trans people until recently, you know? And And I mean, this is Mm -hmm. like, I just a quick,
0: like, I don't know if confession is the right word, but like my... The <laughs> Uh, my father cheated on my mother with a trans uh, sex worker. Mm. And at the time, to- like, I was 17. This was, I think, the year 2000, 2001. The general population did not know much about trans people. I used terms for that trans woman that I would never <laughs> use now, and I feel like a horrible human being for that. Um, well, it could have to do with the circumstances there probably more true. than anything else. but True, but but also, it's like, never mind the circumstances, but like also, like, in my brain yeah. at that time, I looked at that trans woman as a man, and I feel like that's a huge failure on my part, but it's also because trans people were looked at as freaks and yeah,
2: well, and let's not forget they still are, you know, we live yeah. in a bubble. We live in a little L.A. supportive community. And I have to say this yeah. all the time because the people that fight Buck are yep. mostly within the community. And Jesus. meanwhile, when we have an and the same people that fight counterpoints, you know, meanwhile, yeah, we have an enemy. That wants to see us, and by us I mean anybody that is in the community and loves within the community as an ally, they just want to see us all go away and die in some small way. Like, this is pretty much the Christian right has not disappeared. They're strong as ever, and they think that it's a totally repulsive, disgusting way to be. And meanwhile, while that's all happening, you know, you want to take down counterpoints and Buck Angel because, you know, they didn't use the right pronouns. I mean, it it is really shocking. And that's also why I think history matters. When you can look at Gay elders, and I really specifically use the word gay elders because it used to just be the gay community, you know, it was then like gays and lesbians, and then it was gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and then gay, lesbians, bisexuals, trans, and the community expanded, which is great. But when it was the gay community, was the community that my film is about, and the trans population was, you know, swallowed up within it, and they might have not been perfectly happy about that, but that was where. The community was that was saying yes Mm -hmm. to this group of people when the rest of our society was saying totally no go away so i think there's an important realization that when you look at history and you're making a documentary first off the stupid cancel culture just needs to go away because it will not stop documentary filmmakers like me with Buck Angel as my voice right here saying, you know, make sure nobody shuts your voice out. But when they say, you know, your film didn't include any bisexual people or didn't include enough Hispanic people or black people or whatever else you want to say, you know, you have to say, okay, well, that's my next film actually. Did you know what I'm working on next? Or do you know what this, you know, you just have to find a way to fight all those voices and continue because I do really worry that some voices who are not resilient enough and not old enough, actually, are not strong enough. I, I feel like I'm very empowered, maybe because I'm actually 41 years old, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm 41 years old. That's fucking awesome. No one can tell me what to do anymore. I don't feel like uh, a little kid. I feel like someone that earned the space. So that's really important in the face of cancel culture for filmmakers, because I, you know, I talk to filmmakers who get terrified about putting out their film within this environment you know um in fact i actually have a friend that made a film that had a trans uh, character gosh actually just last year and his film got canceled by the community oh my and he's a trans filmmaker himself <laughs> and it was wow. because they didn't like the storyline in his film it wasn't perfectly crafted in the narrative way that they all seemed to feel was right I feel like, and this is something I've noticed
0: uh, partially from watching uh, contrapoints, from watching a couple of different trans YouTubers. This is this is clearly my hobby is watching trans YouTubers, uh, but <laughs> well, it's cl- interesting. Li- yeah. literally literally is. Uh, but no, it's uh, I think that people expect when you're in a marginalized group or when you're in a, a kind of niche group that your voice is supposed to be the voice of everyone, even if you say at the beginning of the video, I'm exactly. speaking for me. And that's something that like a lot of people are very clear. I'm telling my story doesn't matter. You didn't represent everyone perfectly as they wanted it to be. Like, can't people just tell their own story? Like if, it's, if it it doesn't have to be everyone's story. Well,
2: you know, it's so interesting. I'm Jewish and I I mean, there couldn't be a group of people I disagree with more on most issues. And you know, if there's some way I have to ever speak for the Jewish community, I'd be like, "Uh, sorry next." You know, there's no And I also feel that same way about the LGBT community. I I've, I've always been on the outs of whatever community I've been in, and it could be because I more identify as an outsider because I've always been an artist. And, you know, my heroes are people like Frida Kahlo that were like, okay, what the fuck is that? I don't even know. Even to this day, her art just stands outside of its own time and space and culture. And to me, those were always my heroes. So I was never sort of looking to join a club. But I can say that, you know, the clubs that I'm forced to join because of my actual identity, you know, LGBT or Jewish you know, okay, I'm in this club because of who I am, but I don't agree with half of what all the people are saying in these different arenas, nor should we. And I think that the same thing happens in the spaces of our protest movements. You know, I think not all Black Lives Matters people have the same opinion on how to support the cause and move it forward. And I think that's really important as long as you don't break it up. Keep it going. You know, make sure it's thriving. And what I am fearful of with the cancel culture is that people are being so mean and nasty, they will break it up you know, people will throw in the towel and, and retreat and say, so Well, I, I can't handle this. I cannot emotionally handle this type of bullying. And I think that's what we risk. Well,
1: the problem is, and, you know, I'll say this, and then, you know, we'll try getting back to the documentary in a sec. You know, some people have a hard time speaking out because there, unfortunately, are sometimes things that are online, sometimes people's jobs. Exactly. And look, we may not always agree with people. Like, I know someone who they are in a very C-level position at a company, and they actually, you know, Donald Trump said something. He agreed with Trump on it, and people within his organization are now actually seriously considering firing him wow. over just saying, President Trump, I agree. And look, I I may disagree with this guy, but at the end of the day, that's, his opinion shouldn't, you know, especially it has nothing to do with how he conducts his job professionally. Unfortunately, we need to not- Take away people's livelihoods, guys. Of course not. I I don't think that's a way to help anyone progress forward. And I don't think that's a way for anyone to change their minds. If anything, all it does is have people, you know, who you may disagree with. They'll never change their minds. They're going to double down on their opinions. Right. Because what you've done is now just taken away everything else from them. That it, it just doesn't make any sense. Sorry. So I I can see why people have a hard time speaking out, because sometimes there are things like their own job, especially when they're not self-employed
2: online. Well, this is one of those things that I also feel like, you know, when you post something on social media, you have this moment where you're like panicking a little because like, oh, how's it going to react to all these people? And then it's very important to step back and say, okay, this is a fiction. It's actually sort of a fictional world. But in a way, it's not. It has real-world consequences. I mean, we've all heard about suicides that have happened from cyberbullying. And so I think there's this really delicate thing because I often will say, uh, you know, in fact, it comes to mind. I posted something the other day because I do believe in dialogue with the enemy. I think when you have an enemy, like we all have right now, they see us as an enemy and we see them as an enemy. And if there is going to be no dialogue, then we're going to have what we have right now, which is just a disaster, or it's actually a revolution waiting to happen. And, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but... I
0: don't know if waiting to happen is, it the, is, is the okay, phrase it's, here. It's like,
2: in the, yeah, we're amidst it.
0: Right there. For yeah. our audience out there, it is It is June 9th, and we are we are on, yeah. like, what, day 10 or 11 of, totally. of protests in the streets. Yeah. So on an up note, those protests have brought about more change than, like, decades of trying to vote this shit through, so...
2: Absolutely. No, and I will say, this is what's amazing about this moment... But what I think is also amazing about this moment is that we're looking at it with this sort of—I think there's a sort of freshness to this moment. And what I was going to say is that I posted a picture the other day because over the weekend I heard a man speak, and his name is Daryl Jones, and he actually is a black man that befriended people in the Ku Klux Klan. It's oh, like, Daryl like Davis, Davis. Davis. Yeah, yeah. and he—he he has one of the most powerful stories he because he people. He literally pulls them out of the Ku Klux Klan. And
0: there's also a former, I think there's a similar story, but from the other side, a guy who's a former KKK member mm. who deconverts people. Same wow. thing, but a white guy okay. who was Yes, I've heard Klan. that too.
2: No, and I posted this image on my wall because I actually think it's part of our revolution. It's part of the struggle to do, you know, on all fronts, go that way, go this way, look at the different avenues that we try tried to do. But I got, you know, some backlash from posting that image There were like people saying, well, this is, now's not the time to ever join forces and to talk to the other side and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, I can see that as a possible argument. But one of the things that is so maddening to me is this simple possibility of that guy came up with some innovative ideas. Why don't we just start coming up with more innovative ideas? Here's one of them. And I think, you know, It's these people that are doing these things that is very inspiring. So I'm inspired by the many different avenues that people have found. And yeah, Daryl Davis is totally awesome. You should have him on your show.
1: What's really funny is actually Daryl. I saw him speak last year, and he was saying that one of his most awkward and funniest moments was uh, because clan members, when they stop being in the clan, they give that some of them give his their robes ropes yeah, to him. Yeah. So sometimes he'll travel for speaking gigs, and when he travels, he'll bring a couple of like the Grand Wizard outfits to yeah, show yeah. it's like, hey, this is what a clan person gave me. And TSA pulling him to the side, oh, wow. a black man to the side, and pulling
2: out some clan robes. No, that's funny. I there's many an embarrassing TSA story, I'm sure. <laughs> I had a, a vibrator pulled
1: exactly. out at six <laughs> in the morning and being told why I didn't take it out and put it into electronics bin.
2: I
0: love if it. If they do that to me, I'd be like, would you like a demonstration? <laughs> Front or back, sir?
2: <laughs> well, you know, they make vibrator cases now, right, that are supposed to go through the uh, the security kind of in a nice, easy way. See, this
0: is why I just checked my bag.
2: Yeah, there you go. All the sex Too toys you Too many insertables. <laughs>
0: check it and forget it, like a rotisserie.
2: So your
1: parents not only, so they had, you know, an emporium of gay porn, I, I think, empire? Gay, <laughs> gay porn empire. They had a gay porn empire. Sure. But they not it. only hired people within that community, they also did it at a time where
2: they were going through the AIDS epidemic. Mm. Exactly. And that's one of the things, again, it's so important to remind people of history because one of the things actually I was going to say about employment, you know, I do think this is probably the most number one, most heroic thing they did was people with AIDS in the 80s and in the 90s, they were just flat out discriminated against in ways we couldn't possibly Mm. imagine today. Like you can't get a job. You have AIDS. Boom. That's it. You can't get a job. You have AIDS. Because also, AIDS was like the coronavirus at that moment. You know, if you- We didn't understand it at all. We didn't understand it. And also, it was in some ways even worse than the coronavirus because people didn't know if you could just get it by walking in the room with somebody or, you know, at least corona, now we really understand within a few weeks, okay, wear a fucking mask and that's all you need to do. But uh, back then, people were freaked out. And so amazingly, I do have to say, I'm shocked to this day that my mom and dad had the wherewithal to just hire people with full-blown AIDS and work with them until they actually died. They would just straight up die the day they were expected to come to work. Or they would be, you know, in a hospice and my dad would visit them. Um, You know, and I tell that story in the film because these guys, these people lost their family. And I do say these men, because they were all men. And that's the history that I'm speaking to. All these young men who are in their 20s, mostly, died alone in hospitals, just like how we see today in the coronavirus. That piece of the history is so important to not forget because the people that employed and gave these people chances, that is you know, the heroism when our society looked at them as scary and disgusting and untouchable. These men were in a horrible position and my parents had this empathy for them. And, and also they had my mom with her damn religious values, um, actually applied them in that moment, you know, and it was like, well, what kind of a Christian are you if you leave your child to die alone? You know, it really was this fundamental yeah. kind of like in your face religious person from one religious mother to another. And I feel like that was kind of the power of my mom's being so religious and, you know, she Jewish mothered everyone. She out Jewish mothered everybody. Exactly. So it's like, Hey, I'm going to out Jewish mother you. And uh, she did because what do Jewish mothers do? They smother their children painfully and, you know, demand a lot of things from them, (laughs) but they visit them when they're dying, you know, and that's the actual sad, horrible truth is that these people, you know, I think my dad made that point the strongest when he said, I just could not believe the way they were being treated. These, they were their children. And, you know, it's very important to look at gay history and not forget that there was this really recent, painful past. As, as we all continue to fight each other and, you know, harp on contrapoints for whatever the fuck she did wrong today there was a group of men that died and we still haven't even properly mourned them. And there's the, you know, there's the AIDS Memorial that is such a powerful, beautiful Instagram account. And a friend of mine runs it. And, you know, I, I, I was so amazed because I wrote to him on Instagram and I was like, thank you for doing this. And I saw that it started out at like 10,000 and it just blew up like a hundred thousand people follow that account now. And it's because so many people need it. What's
0: the name of the Instagram account? It's
2: called the AIDS Memorial. Okay, And it's just the most beautiful Instagram account, if you have a friend or a family member that died of AIDS that you would like to be memorialized, you can send in a photo with a description and he'll post it. And I mean, these are, you know, we forget these were people at the absolute prime of their lives that were just so brutally taken out by this disease. And it was such a gay issue. It was so specific to the gay community You know, and I think the gay community at that time was unified around the issue, and lesbians and bisexual people and trans people were there supporting the gay community as they suffered.
0: It really was a gay men's uh, issue at the time.
2: Yeah, to not call it a gay men's issue is like c- not calling Black Lives Matter about black people, you know? Yeah, I mean the, they originally <laughs> excuse called... excuse you, but it's
1: about all lives.
2: Okay, there you go.
1: <laughs> we, Sorry. We
2: needed someone to ALM this.
0: It's, but Sorry. I, but I mean originally they called it GRID, uh, Gay Related Immune uh, mm, Disease because yeah. they were trying to refer to it as this quote, gay cancer, when they didn't know what, uh, what they were dealing right. with because it seemed to pop up mainly in the population of gay men. So yeah, it really was a gay specific uh, or a gay men specific uh, issue.
1: This is not to be confused (laughs) with actual gay cancer where the cells
2: metastasize and they're a rainbow. (laughs) That's the cool kind of gay cancer. A rainbow on the taint. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the gay porn cancer. Well... You know, it's so interesting because to wipe out, you know, people are like, "How are you erasing bisexual?" I, I literally had a comment today. Oh, it was so cool! My my film was tweeted about by Kathy Griffin today, who's my hero. I was so excited. I Ooh, love yeah. her.
0: She sent me she sent me tickets to her second show back in San Francisco when she was able to perform oh. in the. I was I it, this was just so nice. <sighs> like I was really broke at the time, and like I saw she was performing again, and like back in the U.S. after her little, you know, mask and the. Anyways, and I was like, I'm really broke, but right now. But next time, I can't wait to go to her show. And she slides into my DMs and uh, and sends like, you know, there'll be tickets for you at will call. I'm like, ah! Miss Kathy, I love you.
2: I'll tell you why Kathy Griffin matters, and her story is one of I the Trump stog stories. They that, literally
0: tried to fuck well, with her First Amendment everyone, rights. Actually.
2: To shout something out, everyone does need to see that documentary because, you know, you don't understand the depths of this like Nazi Germany situation that we're living in until you see what happened to her. And seeing it live was, I I laughed so hard. I hurt. I cried. It was her second
0: night back in the U.S. being allowed to perform again. And it was, it was so, she went until past midnight and had to pay the theater extra. I believe she had to pay the theater extra because she kept performing late.
2: Well, here's the thing that I have to say about her, her documentary, which did not get a theatrical release and was not able Mm. to get onto the channels like Netflix. She wrote to tell me that because she was actually censored by the U.S. government and the U.S. government fucked with her so bad. No. They they scared the living shit out of all of her distributors. So, she had to do things her own way and she had to actually take her show on the fucking road as uh, when the film got released. She had to actually do her own unique way of doing a theatrical release and really, God bless Kathy Griffin. And she sold up Madison Square Garden and what was it? Like, uh,
0: two of the like biggest venues in New York City back to back.
2: Well, that's fucking awesome. But I also just think, regardless of her just ability, which is hands down perfect and, oh, yeah, you know, amazing, sure. I think what she's done, she has so many different things. I could I could talk about her for so long, but she actually does something that is really profound for women. You know, when she was on stage... Um, at, I think it was Outfest or God, I don't remember, but I saw her talking. Yeah, it was Outfest. She talked about the fact that she made like $4 million on this little tour that she did on her own, doing it all by herself. And that at her height, she was making $70 million a year. And what she tried to say there is that, She wouldn't have made that had she quit when people told her to quit at age 40, which they did. She said, you know, that was right when I got my start and they wanted to put me out to pasture. And she said, I'm a woman at 58 years old who's making this kind of money. And this is, I'm at the height of my career right now. And, you know, you think about it, women are just given such a brutal sort of like ageist bullshit thing. And I was so inspired by Kathy Griffin being like, you know, full on, full frontal I'm not gonna let anyone fuck with me. And I just think she has a powerful message for women, for people that want to actually speak their minds because all she did was exercise free speech But the lesson in Trump's dog right now is that be careful because there is no free speech. And also the worst kind of censoring is not just happening from Donald Trump. It's happening on the left. And that to me what is the most scary is, is what's the most scary thing is that the fascism that stomped down Kathy Griffin from on high is also stomping us down from below. And that is what is so ridiculous and we have to push back on it. And I do have to say, you know, that's where Buck's fight is right now. He's actually pushing back on the fascism from the left. And I think it's really important that people continue to do it and not be afraid because it's very easy to get afraid. And it's clear if you think you're going to lose your job or if you think, you know, an angry mob is going to come after you or like what they do to contrapoints, you know, and, and try to silence her. So it takes a lot of wherewithal to do anything on the internet.
1: (laughs) It's true. So speaking of government censorship, I know that you cover this in detail in your film, but your parents were also... Censored by the government as well. Um, they went after them, and it was only because of an election. Yeah, only because of an election that your parents got off the hook for f- a federal obscenity law charges. Yeah,
2: mm. well, there are a few nuances to the story that I wasn't able to completely get in. So, hence, we have a little podcast. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that my parents' lawyer told me was that part of what got them off was the L word, luck, literally. Fucking luck. I mean, he said there was actually... No rhyme or reason to the fact that this jury who actually had to sit there in Pennsylvania, you know, they if they had been a more Christian right wing leaning jury, it was the pretrial situation where they get a group of people together to form the grand jury. He said, had, had he not been lucky with that particular group of people and he also not gotten a particular um, district attorney who had also been a little more conservative and right wing leaning. Things could have easily gone the other way and it happened with many of his clients and he would have worked very hard to reduce the prison sentence, but he looked me straight in the eye and he said, your parents were going to jail, Rachel. I had no, do- I had no doubt in my mind that that was a high. Probability
1: And for our audience who's not familiar, why were they going to jail again? It was for selling uh, VHS. D- it was for selling VHSs. Sorry, I shouldn't think DVDs. No, this Ooh. was back in VHS
2: uh, days. They were selling VHS wow. tapes. And and actually, the laughable thing is by today's standards, they wouldn't even be considered things that uh, you probably even need to censor. They were like so oh soft core. They, were, um, they weren't even gay. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked because... They were Cinemax style? Yeah. My parents basically was like art house... Early, like it was a something, uh, Swedish leather, I think was one of the titles. Something they were so ridiculous, and and nice. you know, in fact, they probably had uh scripts and you know, sets, unlike m- most porn that we see today on on all the various channels. So, you which know. is just like what we review. Oh, great, okay, you're telling me they had a budget? Yeah, what <laughs> films with a budget? <laughs> Shockingly,
0: we want to speak with the second script over uh, Seer.
2: Well, there you go. So Yeah, I think that that's what's really funny about it is that they were selling gay porn. However, the thing that got them nabbed was some straight porn, but it was one of their employees who didn't know the (laughs) protocol. And the protocol was always to vet whoever you were going to send some videos to. And this guy didn't do it. He just simply was sloppy that Mm. day. And the next day the feds came in with their guns drawn and my parents were facing down a massive legal fight and you know it could have easily bankrupted them and put them in jail for the entirety of the time that I was an adolescent you know and and when I, the right wing talks about porn destroying families ironically they were about to destroy mine and had no problem with that because of course they didn't think my parents are real family people so you know that's my bone to pick with the right wing and the people that are anti porn is that most people in this industry are actually just trying to earn a living I mean, they're not setting out to do this thing that's going to, you know, steal their children and create, you know, a moral problem. They, they actually are, you know, parents. They're people with families with a, you know, maybe with a mortgage to pay off. They're just actually trying to earn a living. So, you know, can you go fuck yourself? Because this is actually America. It's a legal profession. And yet during COVID, what did it say on the bailout? Well, if you happen to be in the sex industry, you're not eligible for yep. our government relief. So it still is just blatantly discriminated against. And I find it so sick because therapy is what porn is and therapy is what sex work is. And of course, I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but like, you know, I hope more people in the world recognize that that's actually all it is. You're allowed to go to a therapist to deal with your shit. Where are we not allowed to uh watch porn where we were not allowed to have a sex therapist i'm just saying all the porn sites on the planet should
0: have shut off until they were like fine you can have your your bailout oh my god
1: that's a good idea just turn off porn hub turn off bang but turn them
2: all off actually that's genius all the only fans girls are like yep yeah, nope we're not we're just posting dog <laughs> photos sorry and Donald Trump would have immediately been the one who would turn it <laughs> within seconds. three days max. They would have been like, "Fine, here we need more butthole shots." God. Sh- I only have old butthole shots. I can't jerk off to this. Well, you know, my favorite Donald Trump moment in history is really the interview with um, Anderson Cooper and Stormy Daniels because, wow, she is such a badass. And she's clearly like, she's her. just talking about the president of the United States, you know, wanting to get spanked by Time Magazine. And she's like, I don't give a fuck that you're on the cover of that. If you want me to look at that and feel something, turn around. I'm going to spank you with it. And Anderson Cooper sits there with that little funny grin just, on his face. And he's like, did he say that he loved you? You know, I loved his questions and she's so awesome. And I I had this thought in my head when it was happening, I was like, wow, if the president of America gets taken down by a porn star, then maybe there really is a God, you know, like there, that is actual poetic justice. Like there is
0: a God and her (laughs) name is stormy Daniels. (laughs) It's, awesome. She is such a good actress. I would watch her with her clothes on. We enjoyed her wow. in, in oh, uh, Space Nuts. We really enjoyed that.
2: Was she actually in that? She was. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I didn't know that.
0: She and Evan Stone were so good in that one.
2: Wow. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I think also if you if you want to look at the future of people who know how to ride their way through porn it's not easy it you know most people don't make it out unscathed but i do have to say that's where buck angel is a total role model to many people he actually did things his own way and um came out the other side to tell the story of it and i think that's actually a really important thing that you can look at in you know porn history is that there are some people that have made it and can talk about it in an empowered way and i think especially hearing from women is really important too So have more female porn stars on your show. I'm sure you will have tons, but.
1: (laughs) So Rachel, we know that you do have to run. Uh, So we'll start wrapping this up. Everybody, go watch uh, Rachel's documentary, Circus of Bucks. But we do have some patrons to thank. And patrons, you do get the full video version of this episode, as well as you get extra content that we have on the Patreon. So go over there, patreon.com slash mike or twogirlsonmike.com.
0: There's hot gossip over there. There's tons of tea being spilled. There's some tea being spilled. Go look.
1: There's a lot of stuff we don't say on the show. Oh, there's definitely stuff. Yeah, there's stuff that will get us canceled. So if you're looking for stuff to get us canceled, pay the membership fee and you're allowed to do what you want. Or you can try. Yeah. We dare you. Right? We're not going to have shame. I don't. <laughs>
0: come, come try it. Anyways,
1: <laughs> so patrons, this week we want to thank Christopher Wedge, Dis- Topico, Yan Mon Chen. Ryan Shambly, Bonnie, Mike Sorbetzko, Long A. Wynn, Michael Gatt, Hawkskull, Jason Prater, Barry W. Lynn, Ivy Song, Ken, Christina Blankhorn, Jim the Kiwiford, James, and many, many others. And again, if you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash TwoGirlsOneMike or Mikecom Rachel, where can our listeners find you and more of
2: you and the film? Well, on Instagram, my uh, name is Future Clown, all one word. That's Future Clown. And then on Twitter, I'm Rachel Mason Art because I'm formerly an artist. So Rachel Mason Art on Twitter and also on Facebook. And let's see what else circus of books is on netflix and you can find the music that i created for the song on all platforms uh right now the so you can look up rachel mason give you everything is the song that i wrote for the end credits and um yeah that's out there in the world too
0: Nice. Yvette, where can our listeners find more of you? You guys can find me at the Cybabe over on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, over at Facebook.com slash where I have my once a week live streams where I'm dismantling all the COVID myths out there in the universe. And please come over to my Patreon.com slash to keep all the Petsicles uh, vaccinated. Anyways, Alice, where can people find you and more of our podcasts?
1: Guys, first off, Leave us a show review. We love those. Uh, It helps our ranking uh, and it doesn't cost anything. Other than that, you could find me at Rational Blonde on Twitter, but you could find the show at all places. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at TGOM Podcast. And of course, tell all your friends
2: and tell all your friends who watch porn, which is everyone. All your friends. Uh Which is everyone. (sighs) All right. Well, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. You. Okay, guys. bye. 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 Bye.